decided to go super large on you. There we go. Okay. Not that one. I am kind of one, but not that one. Uh, we ended last week on a serious note of hope, right? Both for our church and, and its health and, and the project that we have going on here, and for Christians everywhere who place their hope in the risen Christ, right? We remember that the famous verse from uh, 1 Corinthians 15:55, uh, where Paul he actually quotes Hosea 13:14. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death. Where is your sting? Today is a, a sort of continuation of that story. We remember there was a battle with uh, Nahash, and God, through Saul and the nation of Israel, brought salvation to the town of Jabesh Gilead. After the battle, Samuel says to all the people, let's go down to Gilgal and renew the kingdom. So they did, and they offered sacrifices and peace offerings before the Lord. And that's where we're going to pick up today. We're going to be in uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 12, if you ran out of the house today and you forgot your Bible, feel free to shoot up your hand. We'd love to bring you a, a copy of God's Word. And uh, open up there to 1 Samuel 12. I always do that. I get to talking, and I don't turn to 1 Samuel 12. And I'm the one that's got to read it to you, so that would be good if I did that. There we go. 1 Samuel chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 1. Then Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have listened to your voice. In all that you have said to me, and I have appointed a king over you. Now, here is the king walking before you. But I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. Here I am. Bear witness against me before the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? I will restore it to you. They said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. He said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day that you have found nothing in my hand. And they said, He is witness. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and who brought you your fathers up from the land of Egypt. So now take your stand, that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did for you and your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, so he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies, and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jerubbabel and Badan and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around so that you lived in security. When you saw that Nahash... The, the king of the sons of Ammon came against you. You said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, although the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore, here is your king whom you have chosen, whom you have asked for, and behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and listen to his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. If you will not listen to the voice of the Lord 
but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. Even now, take your stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call to the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. Then you will know and you will see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord by asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants, the Lord your God, so that we may not die. For we have added to all of our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. Samuel said to the people, Do not fear. You have committed all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. You must not turn aside, for then you would go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver, because they're futile. For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. Lord God, you are a God of renewal. We thank you for that. Like the psalmist says in Psalm 130, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, oh Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be healed. Holy Spirit, we pray that you teach us today. Let the words of my mouth be yours. And may we be transformed and renewed by the reading of your holy word. Amen. Today is September 11th. And if you're older than, say, 27, you may remember the uh, suicide attacks against the Twin Towers in New York. Those images of those passenger planes slamming full speed into those buildings. Images of the subsequent fires and then the collapse of those buildings. Images of, of people stumbling from the debris coated in all manner of dust and chemicals. It was a horrible and very public experience. We all saw it. We all felt it in real time. And for a moment, this experience united America. We came together, and despite ethnicity, socioeconomic status, or even where we lived, we were all one. And the attack forced us to acknowledge our mortality. We saw what Solomon meant when he said, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his work? which he does under the sun. A generation goes, and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. So we saw a resurgence in faith, which we measured by church attendance. Uh, I have an article here from Christianity Today. I don't agree with all of the articles that they, they put out, but this one, uh, this one fit the, the, the mode of what we wanted to talk about today. The immediate aftermath of the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001, was a strange and fearful time, but it also seemed a hopeful time. A massive shift in perspective happened to our country on September 11, wrote Philip Yancey in 2001. For a little while, he mused, the sense that everything had changed in a single morning 
made us look at our land, our society, and ourselves in a new way. It made us live in conscious awareness of death. It made us notice that many of us fill our lives with trivialities and forced us to turn to our spiritual roots. Talk of unity was everywhere. Church attendance spiked and Christian leaders began predicting a national revival. Later in the article, it continues. For a few weeks after 9-11, people packed the pews, but it soon became apparent that there was not a great awakening or a profound change in America's religious practices. As Frank M. Newport, the Gallup poll editor-in-chief, told the New York Times in November of 2001, Barna Group confirmed uh, that conclusion in 2006. It tracked 19 different dimensions of spirituality and beliefs and found none of those 19 indicators were statistically different from pre-attack measures in 2006. In other words, the 9-11 attacks didn't put American Christians uh, on a trajectory towards a more orthodox belief or more consistent habits of prayer or church attendance or scripture reading. Insofar as, as we can measure matters of faith, the decline of American religiosity continued as normal. Almost as quickly as the new perspective on life Yancey saw in 2001, Americans turned away back to trivialities and escalating antipathies, like a dog returning to its vomit in Proverbs 26.11. As a culture newly aware of mortality, we embrace the recklessness of YOLO, not the care for memento mori, spiritually speaking, said Barnum's David Simmons. It's as if nothing significant ever happened. This article is disheartening. Despite the outrage over thousands of innocent deaths, despite the heroism of countless uh, firefighters, police officers, and, and even average everyday citizens, the 9-11 attack only sparked a brief glimmer of spiritual awakening in this country. And as we look around our nation today, I wonder if a similar attack would even do that. But we need to remember that Solomon also said, there is nothing new under the sun. This wasn't the first time a nation experienced a tragedy and called out to God, only to return to their disobedient ways. Today we are looking at the events surrounding a different nation, the nation of Israel, which was no stranger to tragedy. And last week was no exception, right? Israel faced the, uh, the threat of optical obliteration in the form of Nahash, who threatened to gouge out the right eye of the citizens of the city of Jabesh Gilead. God intervened and Israel was victorious. And our passage ended with a sort of a hyperlink. You know when you're, you're reading a news story and they reference another article and that little reference turns blue and you can click on that little thing and it takes you to the other article and you can get the fuller story about what the author was talking about there. Well, the last two verses of chapter 11 are kind of like a hyperlink, right? And they say in verse 14, it says, Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they also offered sacrifices and peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So that's the summary, verses 14 and 15. We click on the hyperlink and we get taken to chapter 12, right? Chapter 12, that's where we're, we're at today. And, 
And it's, it's kind of like somebody pushed the fast forward button and the nation of Israel is all of a sudden in Gilgal, right? Which is a good thing. You say, why is that a good thing that they're in Gilgal? Well, who told them to go to Gilgal? Samuel, right? Now back up a few chapters to chapter 8. Who told the Israelites not to ask for a king? Samuel. So they weren't listening to Samuel. Now they're listening to Samuel. This is a good thing. And so they, they end up down in Gilgal. And as they assemble, Samuel gets up in front of the people. And verse 1 shares with us his speech to them. If we could pull the, the scripture up there, North, would you throw the, the slides up? There we go. Yeah, thank you. Uh, verse 1, then Samuel said to Israel, Behold, I've listened to your voice and all that you've said to me. And he says, Now here is the king walking before you, but I am old and gray. Right? The, the inevitable fate of all of us, if we live long enough, we will become old and gray, right? Or old and bald, one of the two. <laughs> Just the way it goes. And behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my youth, even to this day. That little verse there, right? Takes us back to the beginning of our study. I mentioned this in first service. It was just kind of an aside. I was, I was posting the sermon last week on the website, and then I realized we've had the same amount of sermons in 1 Samuel that we did in Galatians when we went through Galatians. And, and so if you can remember back that far to the very first part of 1 Samuel, but remember Hannah crying out to the Lord, asking him for a son, and then saying, I will dedicate that son right back to you, and you will serve me. And now here we are. Here's Samuel, that, that requested baby, that prayed for baby, is old and gray. Here I am. Bear witness against me before the Lord, he says, and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with? And I will restore it to you. Seems oddly specific, right? Whose donkey have I taken? Whose ox have I taken? There was another person that spoke those words. It happened back in Numbers 16. Moses also said those words. And there was a little incident that happened called the, the, uh, the Kohathite Rebellion, or Korah's Rebellion, right? And I'll give you the, the history in a very quick manner here. The, the Exodus had happened. The Israelites were in the wilderness. They had constructed the tabernacle. And certain people had been given certain jobs. And the Kohathites' job was to take down the tabernacle when they moved and then set it back up when they stopped. But they weren't happy about that. They wanted to be like the Levites. They wanted to be the priests. They said, why do Moses and Aaron get to talk directly to God, but we don't? The interesting thing about that is that is the way that they had asked it to be. Because if you back up even further, right, when they, when they were at the, the foot of Mount Area, they were about to get the Ten Commandments, God told them to all come up and talk to him. And, and then God descended on the mountain with lightning and dark, fierce clouds, and it was boiling. It would be like a, an active volcano, right? Just, and in Exodus 20, uh, starting at verse 18, it says, All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen, but let not God speak to us, or we will die. So you go a few miles down the road, and now the Kohathites are saying, why do you get to be the only one that speaks to God? Because you asked for it. Right? 
in Moses in, in uh, Numbers 16, verse 15, he says, He became very angry and said to the Lord, Do not regard their offering. I have not taken a single donkey from them, nor have I done harm to any of them. If you're familiar with the rest of the story, it doesn't go very well for the Kohathites. They and their families are swallowed by the earth. Divine signal that God chose Moses and Aaron to lead the Israelites. So this is this is the imagery, right? They're all celebrating, woohoo, we won! And this is the imagery that Samuel brings, right? And there's a technical name for someone at a celebration that does something like this. It's party pooper, right? He just brings this in and just lays them flat. But it was necessary. It was necessary to remind the Israelites of their history, to remind the Israelites of their pattern of sin, to stain their relationship with God since day one. Samuel, uh, in, this, in this section here, is getting them to acknowledge that the system that they had was good. Had Samuel taken anybody's stuff? Had he oppressed anybody? That, that draws us back to chapter 8 when Samuel's warning them about the king. Do you remember what he said the king would do? He would take their sons, he would take their daughters, he would take their land, right? So he's getting them to see, look, the system you had was pretty good, and they even agreed. And now there's going to be this new system. So Samuel, in, in verse 6, he says he's going to start reminding them of, of their history and the pattern of, of, of what's going on. They had something good, they wanted something different, it wasn't as good. And he's going to show them it's been the way that's been the way they've always been, right? So starting in verse six, he says, uh, "The Lord appointed Moses and Aaron. He brings them up again, right? So now take your stand. He loves to say that. This way. Take your stand, that I may plead to you before the Lord. When Jacob went into Egypt, your fathers cried out to the Lord. The Lord sent Moses and Aaron, and it, and they brought him up and they put him in this place, but they forgot the Lord their God." So he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the army of Azor, and into the hand of the Philistines, the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord, and they, they said, we've sinned. This, this brings back to memory the, the cycle that I told you about that happened in Judges, right? The Israelites were there. They'd start following the gods of the land. They'd start following the culture of the land. And then God would back up and say, okay, that's what you want. And their enemies would come in and would attack them. And then the Israelites would cry out to God, God, save us. And God would raise up a, a deliverer, right? And that deliverer would fight off the enemy, and then the Israelites would go, whew. The, the deliverer would die, and the Israelites would go right back to sin. And then God would say, okay. And then the enemies come in, and the, the whole process goes over and over and over and over and over again. And he says, the Lord sent Jerubbaal. We know uh, Jerubbaal means Gideon, right? That was another name for Gideon. If you remember him, he fought the Midianites. Those are the ones that, that uh, Samuel mentioned earlier. He says, Badan, that's Barak. If you remember the story of the judge Deborah, and Barak went out and fought Sisera. That's another one that Samuel mentions. He mentions Jephthah. Uh, he's the one that fought off Moab. And then he mentions himself, Samuel. And we know Samuel, right? Because we've been studying Samuel. He fought off the Philistines. He says, Now therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen. 
whom you have asked for, and behold, the Lord has set a king over you. He says, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and listen to his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord. Now, now catch this last little half of verse 14 there, the last little half. Then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. It wasn't just the king. It was the people, too. The people needed to follow God. The people needed to keep the king accountable. And the king likewise to the people. And he says, if you will listen to the voice of the Lord, and you don't rebel, then the hand of, uh, then if you will not, if you will not listen to the voice of the Lord, excuse me, but you rebel, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was with your fathers. Now he's about to do something. He says, even now, take your stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. So Samuel knows, right? Just like we know now. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody? And you're talking about something, and you lay out all the facts, <clears throat> stone-cold facts, right? And that person goes, ah, that's your, that's your truth. That's not my truth, right? And it, it, they need something more, right? They need, they need something to, to believe you. Samuel has stone-cold laid out the facts. This is what you did. This is what God did. This is what you did. This is what God did. But he knows he has to get to the heart of the people. Right? He knows that people only see their sin, only when people see their sin from God's perspective is there any hope that they will turn from it. And so he knows he needs to do this thing. And so Samuel called to the Lord. He says, he, he says uh, is it not the wheat harvest today? Again, oddly specific. It should trigger something in us. The wheat harvest time was dry and arid, kind of like what we've got here today, right? And he says, is it not the wheat harvest today? God's going to bring a thunderstorm. And we look at that and we go, a thunderstorm? Really? That's going to terrify a bunch of people? I mean, they had to have had thunderstorms there before. Why would that terrify people? If I were to, to put that in, in terms for us here in Brentwood today, it would be something similar to me saying, God's going to do something. And to prove that, tomorrow there's going to be a foot of snow out there. Right? That's how uh, wild this was to them. They never rained during the wheat harvest. It was it was unthinkable to have a huge storm. Maybe, you know, like last night that ruined the, the car wash that I had. Right? The little sprinkle. But nothing like a big torrential downpour with lightning and thunder. Right? If you walk outside tomorrow morning and there's a foot of snow, you're going to go, oh, I could have been looking at a little more closely. That's what he was doing there. And so Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent the thunder and the rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord. They realized that God is in charge, that God controls the weather. God, God controls this earth, something that we, we can't even, even in this technological age, we can't make a thunderstorm out there yet, right? But it takes no effort on God's part, and that terrified them, and it should terrify us. God controls these things. The people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God so that we may not die. They realize now, for we have added all our sins, to all our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. And I, and I have to think for just a second there, Samuel was like, finally! Finally you get this! I've been saying this since chapter 8. This is a sin. This is wrong. Don't do this. And finally, God makes it rain, and you knuckleheads realize this is a sin. Right? They've come to repentance. Pray for your 
your servant, the Lord your God. And they're terrified. And then we get a picture of God here. Just a picture. Samuel says to the people, do not fear. Do not fear. You have committed all this evil, but do not turn aside from serving the Lord. Our God is a God of restoration. Amen? Amen. We, we, we fall on our face. We, we choose to sin sometimes. We choose. Every sin is, is, is a lie, right? We, we've, we've convinced ourselves that God can't provide that, so I'm going to do this. Samuel says, do not fear. You've committed this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. He says, don't go after futile things. And then he says this line right here, verse 22, for the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name. That right there should make you say amen twice, three times, I don't know, on account of his great name. Because if it was on account of me, he would have been gone years ago. But on account of his great name, the Lord has been pleased to make a people for himself. Then Samuel says, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. Samuel is a case study in what to do if you are in church and someone offends you. If you remember, they, they, they went after him for his sons, right? And they said, your sons are doing this, and, and we want a king, right? And, and Samuel didn't get defensive. He didn't say, my sons are great. I love my sons. He went to the Lord. And here, they say, pray for us. Even though they finally just now realize that it's a sin, and he's been saying this for, I don't know how long, a long time. Even then, he says, far be it for me to sin against the Lord. I will continue to pray for you, and I will instruct you in a good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king, let me hear that in again, both you and your king, if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be struck away. In the Old Testament, sometimes it's it's harder. It's not impossible because every piece of scripture is applicable to us, right? But to provide application in a sermon, and sometimes it's hard in the Old Testament. Not this one. Because if you look at this chapter, all we have to do is just put God in all those spots there. And we can see how this directly applies to us, right? Uh, Samuel in the beginning saying, uh, here I am, have I done any wrong? Have I, have I abused anyone? We know that uh, God the Father has made himself evident to everyone. Romans 1, 19 and 20, right? Since the beginning of time, the invisible attributes of God have shown there is a God. It's not salvation revelation, but it is a revelation so that on the final day when we stand in front of that throne, nobody in that audience there, nobody in that crowd can say, oh, I didn't know there was a God. There will not be one because the invisible attributes of God have been shown. Then the Holy Spirit jumps in and he talks about the things that we've done in our past and he, he quickens our hearts 
and shows us that we've sinned, that we're sinners, that we were enemies of God, that we hated the things of God. And then he says, stand firm and let me show you something. And he takes his son and brutally crucified him on the cross for you and for me, for our sins. And the, the, the storm of darkness, three hours of pitch black darkness descends as the wrath of God for all of your sins and for all of my sins is poured out on Christ on that cross. And then we cry out. If you're a Christian here today, you have cried out. We have sinned. We have sinned. Forgive us. And the Holy Spirit says, here is the king. Here is the king, Jesus Christ. We're not like Israel. We don't get a, a cruddy king like Saul. We're going to see more about Saul. You're going you're to realize he's a cruddy king, right? We get the king. We get Jesus Christ. God the Father steps back in and he says, if you fear the Lord and serve me, if you will obey my commands, right? Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. He says, if you will do this, then you will walk with the Lord. But if you will not, you and your king will be swept away. If I were to phrase that for us, I would say, if if if, but if you still do wickedly, both you and your church will be swept away. And I'm not reaching there because if you look in Revelation, look in chapters 2 and 3, the, seven the letters to the seven churches in, in Asia, five of those seven were, were being threatened with having their lampstand removed from the presence of Christ. Have, having Christ's favor removed from those churches because of the things they were doing, because of how they were acting. You can say these, these things uh, about our country, right? Both you and your president will be swept away to spits if you still do wickedly. And you say, well, okay, how, how do we not do wickedly? I'm glad you asked. Turn to Ephesians 5. We studied this yesterday in the men's Bible study, right? And you want to know how to obey the commands of God? Right here, Ephesians 5. This Bible's chock full of how we obey the commands of God, right? But we went through chapter 5, and, and we ran into a problem with the very first word. It says, therefore, right? And therefore says, go back and look at the chapter before so you can know what the therefore is there for, right? And the problem was we went to chapter 4, and there was a therefore in there. So we had to go back to chapter 3, see what the therefore, and it just continued all the way through. Right? If we wanted to go all the way back to the therefores, we'd have to go quick back to Genesis. But we went back to chapter 4. In the first part of the chapter, he talks about the unity of the spirit between Christians, right? One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Then he talks about the Christian's wife, or excuse me, the Christian's walk, not his wife. That comes later. It says walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk. And I went through, as I was preparing for that, and I just took a pencil. And every time he said do something, I put an underline underneath it, right? Do this, underline. Do this, underline. And you'll notice, he says, do this, and then he gives you a little bit of a counterbalance to that, right? So in chapter 5, he says, be imitators of God. 
walk in love just as Christ walked in love. Okay, so I'm supposed to walk in love just like Christ walked in love. How did Christ walk in love? I need to do that, right? So I'll just read you. I underlined uh, the, the commands there in, in chapter 5. Be imitators of God. Walk in love. Uh, greed, impurity must not be named among you. There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Uh, walk as children of the light. Learn, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. And we got to verse 15, and that's where the men's Bible study picked up there, and it's, therefore, uh, be careful how you walk. How are we walking? As men, how are we walking uh, in leadership of our family? How are we demonstrating God's power in our families and with our wives? Making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Don't be foolish. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Right? To get drunk with wine, so that is dissipation or debauchery. That's a word that we're gonna, the men are working on bringing back. Debauchery, right? Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Consider the great things he has done for you. God speaks to us through this book. Amen? Amen. This is how we communicate with God. We pray, and God speaks to us through his word. So, and I, and I say this, and I don't want you to think like I'm judging you, because, oh, he's a pastor, so he's always reading the Bible. It doesn't count. That's not what I'm saying. Because even though I study for the sermon, that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about here is, am I cracking this book open every day to discern the will of God, to discern the law of God, to discern what I should be doing. How do I walk? How do I serve him in truth with all my heart if I'm not looking at what he tells me to do? If I'm not daily looking and renewing my mind in the word? When you fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. Both you and your president will be swept away. Both you and your whatever will be swept away. I can't say uh, definitively that September 11th was a judgment from God. I've heard other pastors do that. I won't do that. I don't have a hotline to God. I can't pick up. Hey, was that you? No? Okay. I don't have that. I can say, however, our nation is under judgment from God right now. And I can say that by looking at Romans 1. If you look at Romans 1, you start about verse 19, you read through there, think, bang, boom. Everything that's happening in our country is right there in black and white. Our nation is under judgment. We've got a divorce epidemic. We've got folks that are deceived. They don't know whether they're a man or a woman. We've got issues with the, the LGBTQ plus folks that are deceived. We have abortion. We have men not stepping up. Yesterday, uh, there was a, a walk, a prayer walk in Antioch uh, through a foundation called Love Life. And uh, they're there to bring truth to abortion, right? Not only to, to prevent abortions, but 
What about the ladies that have had abortions? Right? How do we expose them to the love and the grace of God that can overcome every sin? Right? And so this, this love life group, uh, they, they met up and then they prayed and they, just like uh, verse 19 here, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. And they did that. And then they walked in front of the Planned Parenthood there in the Antioch and they just prayed. They just prayed. And they're not there to, to it's not about the, the small amount of medical, medical necessity. Right, that comes more like the mother's going to die if she doesn't do this. We're talking about purely optional abortion. And they're praying to end that in our country. The, the, the lady that was the organizer was talking to Allison and she said, you know, I've, I've been watching Little House on the Prairie a lot here. You ever remember Little House on the Prairie? Yeah, old show. And she said, in, in, the, in that show, the men knew right from wrong, and when evil would come to town, the men would all meet, and guess where they'd meet? The church. And they would decide what they were going to do about that evil, and then the men would drive that evil from that town. Men, we studied yesterday, we are responsible for these things. We are responsible for stepping up, and men by and large, have not been stepping up. She said, if, if, if you look around, and, and Allison did, there were very few men in this. It was mostly women and children. We read a study yesterday uh, that came out that was talking about the importance of men, of fathers, in their children's lives. And while mothers impacted how the child uh, was emotionally and, and how they uh, developed and, and grew the, when it came time to differentiate between uh, home life and the real world, the children looked primarily to the father. And what they were trying to get at there was fathers that, that allow their, their wives to go to church and the kids go to church. I'm going to stay home and watch the game. or I've got some golf to do or I'm going to fix stuff around the house. Right? The children see that and they say, well, church is good for women and children, but when you get older, it's not really important for me to be here to go to church. Men, we need to step up. We need to step up. And the thing is, where we've failed in our life, where we've fallen in our life, where we haven't stepped up, where we've uh, failed in our duty, we need only remember Samuel when he says, do not fear, because our God is a God of renewal. Do not fear. You have committed all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. It's like Paul saying, always looking forward, never looking back. Those are, those are things that have been in the past, and now I'm reaching forward. I'm reaching for eternity. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all of your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if we still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. The judgment I'm talking about on our nation is, it's, it's a national judgment, right? 
We know that God judges nations. But we also know that there's always a remnant. God always keeps a remnant of faithful believers. We see that in places like China, where the government is very oppressive and abusive. Yet there's still a church there. There's still a remnant there. So when we look at this, and we see that you and your nation will be swept away, that's a national judgment. But we do not have to fear, because if we serve the Lord, as individuals, we will be saved. That is the hope that we have. Right? Do not fear. Do not turn aside from following the Lord. But serve the Lord with all your heart. Lord, again, we thank you for the examples that you've given us in your word. The, the flawed people that we see Lord, we thank you for them because we're flawed. And if you put a perfect book out, it'd be a whole lot harder to try and follow. Lord, these people weren't perfect, and neither are we. But we pray, Lord, that we would fear the Lord, that we would serve you in truth with all of our heart, considering all of the great things that you've done for us, Lord. While we were yet still enemies, you died on the cross to save us from our sins. Anyone that will acknowledge you as Lord and Savior, Lord, will be saved. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that we do not have to fear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.